My name's uh, Nathan Miller. I'm the family ministry pastor here, working with Birth to College at our two campuses, and it is a joy to be with you on the 4th, where we celebrate freedom, but ultimately here in this room, we're celebrating freedom in Christ. Amen? Excited to be with you. When I was in high school, right before my senior year, we moved to Brainerd, Minnesota. Anyone been to Brainerd? They know how to celebrate the 4th, let me tell you. Um, We had just moved in, and my mom was getting ready for uh, school in the fall, and being the, the wonderful high school student that I, well, this day I was, how can I help? Well, actually, I have a job for you to do. Could you uh, weed the, the garden in the back? Uh, we had just moved in, and, and she wanted to get that ready and, and looking nice outside. Okay, no problem. I'm on it. So I go outside, and I start to, to weed. I'm doing a great job. I'm finding all the, the different things that shouldn't be there. And then, and then I realize, wow, I hit, I hit a good-sized weed. This is going to need some extra tools. So uh, I went to the garage, and I found, well, maybe not those tools, but I found uh, a shovel and like this, anyway, some creative things to get, get this, this massive weed out. And I was just working on it and working on it, breaking it down, okay, removing that piece, okay, removing this piece. I was whittling it down. There was just a little bit left, and I, I was kind of proud of myself, so I wanted to go and show my mom, like, oh, you got to come out and see this amazing work I've been doing in your garden. So she came out. She, she looked at, at uh, the work that I had done, and she said, what have you done? What have you done? I'm like, I'm, I'm getting all the weeds out, and I got the big one. She's like, that's my rose bush. <laughs> well, needless to say, there's like a little piece left. She was able to salvage a little piece, but, but I, I blew it. Have you ever blown it with the work you've been given to do? Today we're going to talk about work, the topic of work, and for many of us, uh, it feels like I did in high school, we just can't seem to get it right. We work, 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 and it's just, we're always seeming to, to bump into problems. Some of you in the construction industry, right now I keep hearing, the supplies, where are the supplies? Whatever it might be, whatever work you're working in, you, you feel the fact that this world is broken and things don't work the way they ought to work, right? So as we talk about this topic today, I think some of us, unfortunately, are going to jump right to the sweat and the thorns and the difficulties of work, but I want to remind us that before work was indeed cursed in Genesis 3, it was actually given pre-fall. Genesis 1 and 2, we were told to work, that it was part of the original perfect intended way that God created the world to be. And so it was obviously our selfishness and sin that brought upon the pain that we experience in work, but the original design was for our gain. And within a proper understanding of work and exercising of our work, there are still Eden-like opportunities for us to to walk with God in the cool of the day, to, to fellowship with God in the midst of the difficulties that we face at work. And so I want to, this morning, take a Jesus-centered approach to our jobs. How do we bring God glory, do what we were originally designed to do, and, and even bring people into relationship with God all through this context of work? So we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about foolishness. We're going to talk about wisdom. 
and then we're going to end with like a paradigm to hopefully put some of the pieces together. So you remember we're in Proverbs, and Pastor Matt, I believe, was here last week, and he talked about Proverbs essentially is like a, like a wave pool going a certain direction. God's saying this is the way, the current of the way the world is made to work. And so if you hop in that current and you go the wrong way, you start to feel, ah, it's not seeming to work. Well, the fool just keeps going upstream, but the wise, according to Proverbs, swim with the way God made the world to work. And so hopefully we can learn from Proverbs and the scriptures today how to avoid being fools. So there are ways to be foolish. And, and when we talk about the fool, I'm going to give us two main big foolish things to do. And we're going to say these are the two big mistakes to avoid with our work and finances. I actually get this paradigm from a helpful book. It's called The Gospel at Work, How Working for King Jesus Gives Purpose and Meaning to Our Jobs. The Gospel at Work by Sebastian Traeger. Really helpful book. A lot of good books on how we live out our lives as Christians in our workplace, but this one was helpful. Number one, don't be idle in your work. Don't be idle. It's just a fancy word to say lazy, right? Don't be lazy. This is one of the ways we could be foolish, is to be idle in our work or lazy. Uh, Proverbs 10.4, a slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So the question is, are, are your hands slack or diligent? Lazy or do you work hard? Proverbs 21.5 says, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. What do you mean? What does this have to do with being idle? Notice the word hasty. Hastiness often is a product of laziness. Laziness leads to hastiness. My dad would often say, uh, when I'd come to him last minute, when I had put something off, and I'm like, I really could use your help with this. And it was usually something school-related. He's a, he's a professor. So I, I really need your help with this one project. I, I need these sources, whatever it might be. He'd say, a lack of planning on your part doesn't make an emergency on my part. Ever heard something similar to that? Just because you failed to plan doesn't mean it's my problem. I'm actually in the middle of something right now, so good luck with that. And I hated when he would do that because he would point out that I was being hasty because I was ultimately being lazy. I really like this one from Proverbs 20:13. Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. Open your eyes, and you will have plenty of bread. So if you uh, hit the snooze button, anyone hit the snooze button this morning? Okay, I was so tempted to, and I was like, I actually have to, I really have something I got to be to this morning. So I, I okay, I, I had a paper route growing up. Well, I should say my brother had a paper route growing up. Because I shared a room with my brother, and I, I'm a late-night guy, and most, most mornings, the same thing would happen. The, the alarm would go off, and I, I'd be like, oh, Adam, <coughs> um, do you think you could do my paper out for me? And he's an early morning guy. He was already up. Yeah, but it's going to cost you double this time. And he, he would agree to do it. But, but day after day after day, he would do my paper out, and then I'd have to pay him not only what I was making, but double. I, it was bad. I, I like to sleep. I like to hit the snooze button. And you know, the Proverbs tell us, if you are always hitting that snooze button, 
that pattern of life isn't going to bring uh, plenty of bread. <laughs> uh, we, we need to be aware of that. I'm going to skip that, that next verse. Look at Proverbs 28, 19 and Proverbs 12, 11. Uh, same verse, all but the last few words. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty in verse 19, and then down in verse 11 of chapter 12, it's lacks sense. Laziness can actually look busy. You, you, can, you can have this, this facade of busyness and still be idle in your work. You can be doing things that aren't what God wants you to do with your job or what your employer wants you to do, and yet you're just um, a flurry of busy activity, following worthless pursuits. And, and the, the Proverbs over and over again give us this warning against idleness, laziness. Uh, another one, consider the, go to the ant, thou sluggard, and consider her ways. I learned that in the King James. I don't know if what, sluggard is la- lazy person. Go, go look at the ant and, and learn from the ant. They're always working. Unfortunately, when this last week we were gone, and, and they, they found a way into our house. And so now they're working in our kitchen as well. Ants just work, right? There's, they never stop. Consider the ant. If there's something sweet, they're going to find it, and they're going to get to work sharing it with other people. So if, if this is one way to be a fool when it comes to work is to be idle, think of the other side of it, to make an idol out of your work. That's, that's the second error or mistake to avoid with work or, or, or finances, to, to make an idol out of your work or your wealth. Proverbs 23, verse 4 says, Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to dis- desist, to, to stop. If you're toiling endlessly to make another buck, and th- this proverb is reminding us that wisdom says there is a proper time to stop working, to punch out. Some people don't know how to do that. I just, I don't know how to ever stop. I, 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 whatever that is churning within you that you can't rest as God uh, exampled for us from the beginning. Six days he created and the seventh day he, he rested, right? And so there's a, a kind of discernment that we need to say enough is enough. Let's enjoy the 4th of July weekend, right? Look at the second one. Riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. Our paychecks don't get us into heaven. Jesus' righteousness does. And yet we work sometimes like it's, everything's on the line, right? And, and there's a kind of falling into idolatry when it comes to the way we approach our work when we live this way. This is a really beautiful example from Proverbs 18. The name of the Lord is a strong tower, The righteous man runs into it and is safe. A rich man's wealth is his strong city and like a high wall in his imagination. And we know that walls and towers protect cities from evil. So this this imagery of what are you looking to for protection, for safety, security. People who make an idol out of work are trusting in their job or their paycheck, ultimately, instead of Jesus. Only Jesus can protect is that strong tower. And, and if there's any lesson we've learned during this COVID-19 pandemic is uh, our, our jobs aren't 
secure, uh, things aren't always going to work out the way that we want them. And if that's what we're trusting in, to keep us safe and secure, we're, we're going to be in for a world of hurt. We only can trust in Jesus. He's the only one that won't let us down. Paul, in 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10, gives a great warning. We're not going to look there, but I'd, I'd encourage you to uh, jot down 1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10. Uh, the Apostle Paul gives this really stern warning for those that are so, that, that, that are so pursuing of wealth, um, making money an idol. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. So sad to see people who are so um, bent on more, 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 pursuing a, a better job or, or don't know how to balance, and they actually lose their faith. They walk away. It, it, the, the money and the, the pursuit overtakes their desire uh, for King Jesus, and Paul warns us of that. So if we're not supposed to be idle in our work or making an idol out of our work, how do we find this balance? How do we live in the balance between the extremes of idleness and idolatry? Well, we need help, don't we? Just trying harder isn't going to cut it. We need to ask God for help. Interestingly, Proverbs has one prayer. In the whole book, there's only one prayer. And this prayer is really insightful for this topic. The, the prayer is from a guy named Agur, son of Jakah. Heard of him? Yeah, he's my best friend too. He says, he says this. Listen to this prayer that he, he gives. This is the only prayer, but I think we can learn a lot from this, this single prayer in Proverbs. Two things I ask of you. Deny them not to me before I die. Number one, remove far from me falsehood and lying. I don't, I, I don't want to be a liar. Or, but also, number two, give me neither poverty nor riches. Isn't that a strange prayer? Give me neither poverty nor riches. It's as if he, he wants to find this balance because he knows if he's on one end or the other, it's going to cut into his relationship with God. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. Maybe not all of the buffet at Fogo de Chao, just just the meat when I've turned the card to the green, just that plate of meat. I don't need all of it, uh, lest I be so full that I deny you and I say, huh, who's the Lord? I have everything I need. Or, lest I be poor, I don't have anything, and I steal and profane the name of my God. Isn't it interesting that, that this, this ancient prayer is the same tension we're trying to, to strike between not being lazy but not being so consumed with our work that it, it uh, ruins our relationship with Jesus. So, so there's, there's lots more we could say about Proverbs, about being a fool, but let's, let's talk about some wise things, too, uh, this morning. Um, now that we've talked about the fool, what, what does wisdom look like? And I think at Friendship, a question we, we ask regularly, and we should be asking, is how do we love, live, and serve like Jesus with our work? And, and with our, our wealth and our finances. Well, number one, we should work for Jesus, not people. Work for 
Jesus, not people. Paul says this really helpfully. Um, Not by way of eye service as people pleasers. We're supposed to, with sincerity of heart, not fear our earthly masters, but fear who? Fear the, the Lord. Verse 23, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving with your work. You are serving who? The Lord Christ. It doesn't matter what your job is. And I, I haven't defined work for us this morning, but it's not just nine to five, you're punching a clock. It, uh, stay-at-home parents, that's work. If you're retired and you spend your days investing in family and doing charitable things, that's your work. It's anything that you do in your non-leisure time, right? That you're investing. And for many of us, it is a Monday through Friday sort of situation of investment and work. And in all those things, it's ultimately about Jesus and not the people that we're in contact with. And it's, it, it can seem confusing, but, but we know this well. Colossians 3, whatever we do, we should do it in whose name? The name of the Lord Jesus, right? I, I really like this quote from, again, from this book, where Sebastian Traeger points out that Paul, the author, uh, Apostle Paul, wants to, Christians to see that their work matters, that it is actually a high-profile arena in which God glorifies himself and at the same time makes us more like Jesus. Have you considered that the arena in which you're, you're working is a way for God to get glory by you doing excellent work, being made in his image to do it, but also for you to be formed as you ah, bandage up the thorn, wipe the sweat, work out the, the, in, in difficulty, you're actually being formed more and more into his image if you're mindful of him in the midst of it. So work for Jesus, not people. Number two, give to Jesus through people with your work and with your wealth. And this, this one's a little tricky, but as I was reading the Proverbs, it struck me that as you're being commanded to give to poor people, God keeps showing up in the place of the poor people. Look at verse, verse uh, 31 of chapter 14. Whoever oppresses a poor man actually insults who? His maker. But he who is generous to the needy honors him. In other words, giving to the poor is giving to Jesus or honoring Jesus. Uh, again, in verse uh, 17 of chapter 19, Whoever is generous to the poor is actually lending to the Lord. Isn't that interesting? That, that Jesus stands behind the, the, the needy people that, that we're giving to and, and helping, um, whether, whether in charitable giving or in, through our work. And this is essentially what Jesus is trying to get at in his famous lesson in Matthew 25. You've got to read it later today. Matthew 25, at the end, there's this beautiful strange picture of the the last judgment you got sheep and goats and the sheep are saying hey come or the the king is saying to the sheep come enter into the joy of the of, of your master because when i was hungry you fed me when i was thirsty you gave me something to drink when i was needy you helped me and they're like what when when did we give you something to drink when when did we feed you and and then in verse 40 the king will answer them truly 
I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. When we serve others, God, or Jesus stands behind those people, and, and by loving others, we are ultimately loving God. It's this beautiful thing that happens in our work, that as we give to them, we're really giving to Jesus through them. Lastly, look what Jesus did for all people. This is essentially having a gospel lens to our work activities. And by a gospel lens, I mean when you work, you're kind of thinking the tasks that you have in front of you. But you, you have to think, you have to be able to step back and say, wow, this is actually a picture, or God provides a picture of my needing to work to get money to, to, to make a living and survive. Jesus had everything. He was the richest in heaven, right? He had all, all things, and he became poor. It says, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. I, I would say marriage is ultimately given by God as a metaphor for the gospel. Work and, and finances are ultimately given by God as a metaphor for us to get a better picture. We understand poverty and riches. Now we can get a little better handle on the, the, the length to which he went to for us. He left everything so that we could have a means to become part of his eternal family. And in this beautiful picture of the gospel, we can be encouraged through our, our work week. Jesus knows what it is. He, he came to earth and felt the same pains that we feel. What, what kind of occupation did he have before he healed people and did those things? What, what, what did his dad, Joseph, do? Carpentry, right? Do you think there was leaning tables and shoddy chairs in the Nazareth carpentry shop? No, he, he did good work, right? And as he was getting splinters and doing good work, there's that, I, I'm serving the Father through, through the work that I do. Very interesting that he had spent 30 years working, apprenticing, and only three years uh, of public ministry. It's very interesting. I, I think when it comes to work, we, we can tend to forget. How do we keep Jesus center? At the center of our, our work week and at, at the way that we think. And I want to end with this paradigm that's very, just an application tool. Um, we don't want to be foolish. We want to be wise. So how do we be wise with the way we approach our work? One very simple way is to think about the, the three main things God asks us to do in Scripture, there's three great to-dos that everyone returns to time and time again. The Great Commission being the, the main one, like go and make disciples, right? Matthew, Matthew 20, 28. Obviously, our work is an arena for making disciples, right? Uh, the faith story videos that, that Friendship has made, um, Bob Urkel, there's a great one that tells Bob Urkel's story of, of him making a disciple from a coworker. That's a great example of, yes, your workplace might be a place for you to make disciples. But some of you might be thinking, I'm, I, I clean dishes in the back room. I mean, I guess I could witness to the, to the dishes. Hopefully they know Jesus. But like my job, this doesn't seem to apply. Well, there's other great commandments in Scripture, things that, 
that we're asked to do, and how do we think about those in light of our work? For example, the great commandment. How do we love God and love our neighbor through our work? Martin Luther actually was really helpful pointing this out when, he, when it comes to, um, we will pray, give us this day our daily bread. We don't. Jesus doesn't pull up with a Wonder Bread truck and start unloading, right, in, in our, into our kitchen. No, there, there's, there's lots of people from the, the farmers harvesting the grain to the production baking to then distribution. All those people are the ones that are giving us this day our daily bread through the economy and through the, the, the interrelated web of work. And so how does a, a, a bread truck driver love his neighbor? By staying on the road and not tipping over and all the Wonder Bread is in the ditch. No, no, that's not good. Like, by him being faithful, he's loving his neighbor down, down the food chain, so to speak. And whatever our job might be, ask that question. How am I, or even better yet, who is my neighbor? Who, who's my neighbor in the job that I have? My, my wife stays at home with our kids. She's got six little neighbors that she is very much aware of at all times. And one who's going out into the street right at this moment. Okay, Lottie, come on back. She's, she learned how to open the door recently, and she just darts out, and we're like, ah. She, clearly, they're her neighbors that, that she's loving. Loving them to Jesus, great commission, yes. We want them to all, all of our kids to come to know Jesus, but also just practically, God, I want to love you by being faithful to love these littles. So that's a question that we can ask in our work. And, and you still might be like, well, I don't work with people. <laughs> I'm an artist, let's say. I, 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 I work with canvas. I can't witness to the canvas. I guess I could love it. But I, like, what, do you, what do I do? Well, really, it all goes back to the very beginning when we're created. The, the uh, great cultivation is what, what I call it, or the cultural mandate. Right out of the early chapters of Genesis, when God tells us to work before the curse came. And he says, take the raw materials I've given you I'm the capital A artist, you be the lowercase a artist. In my image, do that. Like, like make, make something beautiful. Um, fill, rule, create. Take the raw materials of the six days that I've created and make something of the world. He could have just created all the art, but no, he, he, he said, no, you do that. You create the art. And this is the very, very first great to-do of all. And in all three of these, as we look at our work, is there someone that, that we should be sharing Christ with in our work? Is there a way that I could love my neighbor more intentionally through my work? And is there a way to image the very person I've been made in the image of by creating beautiful things, filling, ruling, and making something of this world? I am so delighted that I get to introduce a video to you now. And this video is a great cultivation. It is a video created by, a movie, created by Joel Klein, our video guy, Mike Kelly, who's both a sound engineer, but also he's a poet who works on staff here. And we have two actors in our mists, uh, who you'll see. Uh, I, I don't want to give them away. But people, this is a great example of great cultivation. When you use your gifts in creative ways, you can create beautiful things that we can learn from and that I think will enhance this discussion as we close. So let's, let's watch this, this video. Plants. 
are like people. Each has their own different needs, but similar interests. Take this hosta, for instance. Now, full grown, it'll only get about three feet high, but it can get up to eight feet wide. It doesn't require very much sunlight or water, but its sister, the daylily, requires both. All right, you give it a try. A simple hole. Can't be too hard, right? You'd be surprised. You know, the right size hole can make or break a plant's life cycle. It's all dependent on the size, the height of the plant, and the size of its pot. So a plant that's three inches high needs a hole six to 12 inches deep and twice the diameter of the hole. Give it a try. Perfect. be an expert, but I could get used to this. <laughs> Is professional gardening even a thing? <laughs> you know, with the right support, you could take this as far as you want to go. of a variety in their hosta section, so I have some Patriots right now. They're gonna flip when they see it. Mm. No, we're, we're still under. I got eight for $10.99 a piece. Mm -hmm. Okay, yep, I'll be there in a bit. Bye. Sorry, Dan. You've reached professional green thumb. Leave a message.
<laughs> I got your roasties in here. Awesome. Oh, this is perfect. Okay, cool. I love Good. it. professional green thumb leave a message hey you i uh take it the project ran a little late yeah i guess things are crazy right now <laughs> you know i've been praying that throughout this business you'll still find moments of peace don't forget to eat something don't spend all your time on the plan's needs and neglect your own we're, we're similar you know you open your eyes Oh, oh my god! I hope the truck is holding up okay. Oh my goodness! Other stuff before. There's been harder times. We'll get through it. We'll get through it together, okay? That's your first car, right? I remember when we came up with that name. <laughs> you asked if there was even such a thing, and we joked. What if someone could have? a professional green thumb. You know, I walked by the garden today. Your patriot is almost eight wide. It's grown so much. So have you. Anyway, I'll try you again tomorrow. You know, you'll always have a place at my table. I love you. Give it up for Jeff and Bianca. So good. Love that. Love that. When I ripped up my mom's rose bush, I made a big mistake. But it wasn't just about roses, right? I was so busy wanting to serve my mom, I forgot to stay connected to her. And imagine if I had earlier invited her out to take a look at my progress. How many roses could have been saved, right? God doesn't want us to leave this room, go to work, work hard, forget about him, then come back on Sunday with our paychecks, put them in the offering plate and say, look God, look what I did this week. No, he, he wants to, to be with us throughout our work week. Work isn't a place just us and our toil and sweat. It's a place for us to commune with God, to be mindful of the very tools he's given us and, and to have a connection with him. He wants us to ask him for help, to invite him into that next project, to let him delight in the progress or lack thereof that we've been making, and to let him encourage us when something goes wrong, which it will, <laughs> again and again. That, that uh, movie moved me. 
and I would encourage you to just reflect for a few moments as the worship team starts making their way out. These questions, what, what garden has God given you to cultivate? What's the great cultivation that you're being invited into? And how can you connect to Jesus more faithfully in the midst of your work? To not forget him, but to be Jesus-centered even in the tasks that you have. Let me pray for us. Lord, I, I ask that you would meet us this week in a special way as we uh, hopefully get to celebrate uh, the fourth and the freedom. Uh, help us to relish the freedom that we have in you and the, the fact that you did become poor so that we could become rich, that we could inherit everything, that we're co-heirs with you of eternal riches, and that because of that position, we don't have to fear because you are in control. And as we work joyfully using the gifts and the tools you've given, help us to remain connected to you this week. In Jesus' name, amen.